When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But I thought as we're about to turn the calendar and March is not too far away, February is a heavy tune-up time for the AFL. So bring your friends close at this time of year. Phil Davis, let's put him through a bit of pre-season work, shall we? Phil was great with Kane on breakfast uh, last week. So we've asked him to just set the bit of the scene on some of the footy topics of the moment for us. Phil, welcome. Jared, great to be here. Good to be in the studio with you. How's life as a Melbourneite treating you? I'm definitely getting there. I've actually been surprised at the quality of the weather. Everyone obviously complains about the weather, but it's been it's been very nice. And you, you've taken on a couple of the local rituals. Do you go to the tennis? Go to the tennis. First time I've been there. I really love the idea. I went to the first day, Jared, and obviously there being a 15-day tournament this year, I thought the Sunday opener was awesome. Um just did the ground pass and just walked around for about four or five hours, popped in my head to a few tennis games. And I must admit, going to the tennis, I've been to the tennis, fortunately enough, on you know Rod Laver, but the outcourts and the atmosphere around that is something else awesome. At the, it feels like just a thoroughly sophisticated modern event now. So what did, did you sort of see the various precincts yes. and bars yeah. and food and the like? They do a great job. I think it's like the ultimate balance between sport and social because you can just meander between both. You can walk in, you know, the lines every now and again to get into a court, but get out, you know, the, the pop-up trucks, you know, the bars, the atmosphere, the different cultures is also very, very cool. The flags and everything. It's a, it's a real spectacle and something that Melbourne did very well. You've lived your life in footy, so in, in Adelaide, which is mm. a parochial town, in Sydney, which is um, an, an outpost. What, what 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 do you think a footy season in Melbourne is going to be like? Do you have an impression? You yeah, have? I was actually thinking about that. I got asked that the other day, Jared, and I sort of thought it was going to be very interesting because in Adelaide, during winter, that is the beat of the whole city is the football, you know, bars can shut during a game and everything can shut. While here, because there's so much football, you know, between sort of three and six games or four, four five, six games a weekend, it's going to be very different. I've noticed that there's lots of footballs in this city. I think I said to you before, Joe, I, I see a football almost every day, which is so <laughs> different to uh, Sydney life. But um, I'm looking forward to it. I've already, you know, circled a few games. I'm making sure I get to the Richmond-Carlton round one game. So, um, you know, really want to get to Queen's birthday. So the King's birthday now, sorry. I'm really looking forward to, yeah, a few of those big games, but I'm not sure what the, the beat of the city will be during the season. It's really something. I can promise you that as having lived here my whole life. It's... I always escaped it, Jerry. That's why Sydney was so good. Cause when you're playing, you're trying to remove yourself yeah, as much as yeah. possible, get some, some normality. But I think now I might be able to immerse myself in certain aspects of it, which would be awesome. All right. Let's immerse ourselves in where we are right now. So Luke has texted through, no surprise. Carlton got their act together when Brian Cook joined. Best footy administrator of all time. Uh, he's right up there. Neil Baum and Brian Cook have been at stability seems to suit Carlton well. Yeah, I must admit, I, I was surprised when I learned that Michael Voss hadn't been extended already. Um, I understand that middle of last year, and I think that was probably one of the most courageous decisions of the 2023 season because, as you said in your opener, it felt like they were just going to sack him because that's what Carlton do. 
Um, but to see them stand by him and see the results they got. And yeah, it's a no brainer now. They'll work that out. But as a player, stability is so important. I think you, when everything's going well around you, it makes it easier to put all your focus and attention on playing. And that's what Carlton can do now. So do you think it has a material impact top down if you've got leadership and stability and calm and reason that it filters through to a player group? Definitely. I think from ages 18 to 23, you don't really know what's going on. And that's fine because you're so immersed. But once you get a bit older, you sort of, because you're trying to look at the big picture as well, you're always assessing it, working out what's going on. And when you see stability, you go, okay, I can take great faith in the decisions that are being made because they're being shown to be good because of stability. And then as you get older, you sort of look around, even older, like I'm talking 28, 29, 30, you can actually almost judge to an extent what they're doing as well. And then once that's all in line, you get harmonious football club and players because the young blokes follow the older players and then away you go. So to me, I always loved stability and that was something that I found really important. Do you feel like Voss figured a lot out last year? Having So he had the, the tough time of things in Brisbane and then he went and schooled himself. He did the, the thorough apprenticeship to prepare himself for those sorts of moments. And then he did, he, he navigated just some awful times through mm. the middle. Where there was a very real risk that it could have all self-combusted, but he was able to hold the group together. And evidently there was clarity and leadership to rectify, to recognize first and then to rectify what was wrong in their game. How, how does that serve a coach? Do you think? Yeah, if you, I think if you sort of look around and say who's had almost the most complete uh, road to get to a place to be experienced enough to have success, and Vossi would have to be up there. Like his career was obviously as a player was just unbelievable. You transition from that relatively quickly into a senior coaching gig in Brisbane, so just a little bit out of the spotlight. It doesn't go well. You park the ego. You go to Port Adelaide, a little bit off the track as well. You do a, an enormous <clears throat> apprenticeship. And then you go, okay, I'm ready to go. Gets one of the, I think, the biggest jobs in Australian sport. Like Carlton, just enormous. You take that, things look positive because you step in the right direction. Then you get the full experience of a big club. You handle it with aplomb. Like he was so cool and composed. Turns the ship. And now we get to a position now where I feel like he's seen all the seasons. He's got an amazing list. And I, I personally, we had a chat a couple of weeks ago um, with a friend of mine and we are talking about Aura and we had it on this show as well. Voss has got aura. Yeah. Like as a player, like I would want to play for Michael Voss because he is the captain. He is, you know, he is Mr. Like incredible leader. And that galvanized you. Plus he's now got experience. He's got the scars. Um, yeah, I think he's in an amazing position to give them success. When you think about Carlton this year, so it it's not a given that they mm. will pick up the threads that they had at the end of last year. Um, which saw them run to that that thrilling preliminary final. Um, do you have faith that they will? I do. I've got. I've definitely got question marks. But in saying that, I've got question marks on every team. Yeah, really. Yeah. So that's probably not saying anything amazing. But no, I think there's a big part of them. I have like for me the weedering injury is not ideal. I'd like to see how that pans out. Silvani really hurts them because I thought that's where they're going to add some versatility because I thought they would be able to play. Deconing in the ruck full time, Silvani pinch hit, and that would make their forward line smaller. But without Silvani now, do they play Pitnett and Deconing, Mackay and Kerno? So that's the only thing is that I thought at times last year when Voss got forced into playing small, that's when they got playing some of their best football. So I believe in them. There's still some proof that I'd like to see before I go. They're a definite prelim team again, or they'll take that next step and win one. 
Gavin from Albury's text through. I very much hope and pray we have the three men in charge at Carlton for at least another two years so they can deliver our 17th flag. I much rather this news in the preseason than the sad news of Silvani last week. We, we are going to talk injuries, untimely injuries, the the annoying ones and then the devastating ones. Is That, that was just so heart-wrenching for Jack who lived last year not knowing whether he was going to be mm. at Carlton or not. Um, made the late run, but wasn't quite wasn't quite there to be able to play in the preliminary final, and now he just gets wiped out. It's cruel. Yeah, I think um, from my experience, I've, I've seen a few ACLs in preseason, and they are without a doubt, especially the timing. You know, at this point of the year, <clears throat> excuse me, you sort of getting back end of January, we get a four day break usually around this time. You know, once you get on the other side of that two or three weeks and it's in season program, which is like an absolute gift, Jared. It's the greatest thing ever in season <laughs> program. So he's probably just about to taste it. He thinks his team's going to be very successful and then bang, the whole year's written off. The only advantage is that 2025 will be a clean run for Jack. That's, that's the only benefit. So obviously sometimes if you do it round 10 or 11, you get half of this year, but then your next, um, your next program 2025 is interrupted. So that's the only silver lining is that 2025 will be fully, which doesn't mean much to him right now. If you were in charge at Adelaide, would you extend Matthew Nick's contract coming into the season? Uh, yeah, I'm very big on, I like the idea of just giving someone one year saying, Hey, we would like to extend you for further, but just to give you a complete mind, you'll be here in 2025. He's one year. We'll work on the details of what the extension beyond that looks like. I'm not sure if he would take that or how that would look. I just think for me, I've always, I don't like it going to a press conference and be like, what's going to happen? And we didn't really experience that in my time at the Giants. Sort of Leon just all of a sudden was gone. We had about three weeks of it and he was, and he was gone. Um, we had a bit of time at various periods, but he always had contracts. So I think personally, I think he deserves two or three years, but if they don't feel comfortable doing that, extend him by just one year, have a trigger that they can cut him if they really need to. But in my mind, get rid of that question of will he be there in 2025. So that's the risk, isn't it? Is putting a coach into the last year of his contracts puts him on trial. Now, sometimes putting a coach on trial is the exact right mm. thing to do, but more often than not, it is counterproductive mm. and it risks. So I think back to the Ken Hinckley scenario of last year, it, it becomes the whole defining quest for Port Adelaide. Will Hinckley get the new contract? It, it's... It almost overwhelms, well, can they be a top four team as are they in premiership contention? Is So I think if you know you've got, as soon as you know you've got your guy, yes. and Carlton and Adelaide know they've got their guy for the moment, mm. that they haven't run to the end of their quest, um, they're still building on the exact path that the clubs had prescribed for them coming. So Nix takes up the rebuild job. It's not his rebuild, he's handed it, mm. and I think he's meeting the right markers. If they were, if they had a hiccup this year, I wouldn't see that as the end of no. his run. So if that's their internal thinking, don't don't let the walls close in because you can pretend that it doesn't infect. But there are there are so many case studies that it gets inside the walls. Oh, it definitely does. Without a doubt, Jared. I, I think from from what I've always seen is when you go to a press conference and no one wants to talk about the actual football, it's just frustrating. As a player and as a football club, it's like we've. You can see everyone gets frustrated, don't they? It's, it happens every time. It's like we're not going to talk about this now. We're not going to talk about this now. Well, it just is always going to be asked, and it might be a point two of a percent, but it erodes something. 
and it's frustrating and can galvanize a group. I've seen, I've heard of stories where clubs and players have gone like, we actually want to do this for the coach, you know, and that actually can galvanize you. To me, that's the rarity versus the frustration and distraction that it can provide. So I think the early signs out of Fremantle. So I don't put any stock in that story that was written that the Dockers will keep tabs on Luke Beveridge as the replacement for Justin Longmuir if it all goes mm. pear-shaped. But that's sort of the start of the erosion, I reckon. And it it puts them – it just it – just, and it, through no fault of their own, it just sets an early tone. And I wonder what it looks like to a player group. Okay, so is our coach on trial mm. this year or not? Is that is that going to be a big part of our story? Well, I would. I'd be if I was sitting there and I was, you know, Brayshaw or Luke Ryan or whoever it is. I know that this year is very important. We will track in the right way. Did we have an anomaly or are we no good? And they would have heard that the media were chipping away at Longmuir's game plan. It was too slow. It was too boring. He now doesn't have a contract where our beverage has been mentioned. I think that all permeates the walls. It does. There's no doubt about that. It just depends on how much players will listen to it. Some will listen to it more. Some will listen to it less. But to me, that's the, to me, that's the biggest coaching story of the year is Longmuir. I, th- I think he's under the most pressure. Yeah. I think I always have that delineation. Some people are under pressure to do the job and some people are under pressure to keep the job. And I think Longmuir is in the latter category yeah, I now. Think, I think it's got to a point now. And I like their list. I don't love their list. And I think sometimes we as uh, an industry go after the coach. And I think to myself sometimes, well, who's put this list together? And also who's developed the talent? We've all said these young kids are really good. Like look at, I look at you know, North Melbourne have got a lot of good players for a long time. But a lot of the young players have turned not to be the players that we all thought they would when they were drafted. But why is that? We always blame the coach. That's the first person that we go after. But it's a program, and that's very different from a coach. A program is bigger than the coach. Phil Davis in the studio, a bit of footy chat. The different phases of the preseason and what the move to February represents, untimely injury. Jeff in Richmond, I think, has injury on his mind. Hello to you, Jeff. Okay, Jared. How are you going? Very well. Look, I reckon the uh, deflection in uh, Western Australia is going beautifully for um, West Coast again. Um, poor old Justin Longmuir, he gets put under the pump by the press over there and Adam Simpson getting away again. Again, West Coast, that little club that I've barracked for, for since inception, just doing things without people noticing. Liam Ryan signed a two-year contract the other day just after he pinged a hamstring again um, after playing three games for the club last year and kicking four goals. And they just continue to do it, Jared, where they continue to go under the radar Signing people, whether it be players or the coach, with just no outcome. So no wonder Justin Longmuir is under the pump because the deflection game's already started at West Coast already. So, Jeff, I heard Dermot Burton say last week that he thinks West Coast will be worse. And is it life of Brian worse? How could it get any worse? What, what, what do you <laughs> think's about to happen at West Coast? Oh, look, I think the change should have happened, but it hasn't in regards to the coach. You know, and that's, that should have been done. Um, and I've hung on, I think, now. I feel, feel you know, sort of upset for young Harley Reid and the pressure that he goes into the season with. You know, the other young bloke that went across there, Archer Reid, he lasted two sessions before a long-term injury. You know, Dom Sheed's out with a long-term foot. Um, Tim Kelly's out with a hamstring. Like, the people that they need to have around those young guys to be, you know, a force ever again are not going to be there again, Jared. You know, and, and Dom Sheed's a crucial player in that team. As much as everybody thinks he's a bit player, he's crucial in that side, especially with the young fellas. 
Jeff, you're following it closely. Thanks for your call this morning. one three hundred seven three six seven three six to join in. The 40 Winks Temper Text, 0433981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. The different phases of the preseasons and the different ways of going about it. The inexperienced team, the new coached teams, and those who really know what they're doing. We'll explore that with Phil Davis next. I've been at clubs where you, you get, you know, you're two weeks off and then you're a training program that's very regimented. It's this day, it's, yeah. it's all mapped out and it's all very like this. And the approach here is very different in that we still haven't been sent out a program and because the whole idea of it is to have self-driven athletes, which I, yeah. I've never even thought of that. But it's like if you need support in an area, whether it be strength of the, your weights or your running, you can seek out a coach, but it's like, a self-driven athlete shouldn't be told what to do. It's like exactly you go right. figure it out yourself. So today's session, like we made that up ourselves, exactly which right. you know we might not have nailed it, but I, li- I like the idea of it. That's Tom Mitchell on Collingwood's preseason from the Ball Magnets podcast, just by way of illustrating the different sorts of preseasons that would be happening. So I can imagine it, I mean, with Phil Davis, I can imagine at Richmond there's a lot of teaching and learning and they're feverishly trying to bed down what they want to do. Collingwood and Geelong, I think, have been in that age of the self-driven athlete where they very much know what they're doing. So what would the spectrum be like, Phil, do you reckon? I've never seen a spectrum like that, Jared. That is as far away from what I've seen in my time. I think that would have given 18 fitness staff a heart, heart attack, yep. just listening to that. Um, I like the idea. I remember having long conversations with people along the way being like, well, why don't we weed out the people that aren't committed? And how do you do that? Well, you actually pull back the frameworks around players and find out who's motivated, who's not, blah, 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 blah. And the general consensus was you just lose too many. So it's, yes. very, inter- oh. it's very interesting hearing Collingwood say that. But there is a very fine line between uh, that. Like, So I've trained with Tom Mitchell once or twice in my time, just like, across the ways. And like he just seems like he's going to be a coach one day. So him, for him making up a session – wouldn't be that difficult. Like he ran this session. It was like eight of us, all AFL players, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. And he, um, he basically took over as right. eight of us and like yeah. he ran the session and he was very, very impressive. So he's obviously got a wealth of knowledge, but then there's people at the other end that don't really know what there's to do. And, and their job is probably to uh, line up with a Tom Mitchell and go for the ride. But for me, that's on one complete end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, which is much better now is, you document everything you do, you report it back, et cetera. And, that, and the AFLPA have done a great job in making reporting back not allowed anymore right. because that became really invasive. Like we used to have to do a session and by midday have uploaded it. What happens if I've got a family breakfast, Jared? It was like, well, no, that doesn't count because you have to have it up by midday. Otherwise you get in trouble. So that got eroded, which was very nice. But listening to that, I, I can't believe that. But like in, in what, what I have seen a lot in my time is you give me the program I'll look at and look at the sort of parameters that I need to hit. Let's say 10 kilometers, 200 meters of running above 24 kilometers an hour, a bit of change of direction. I'll look at them like, okay, I like that part of the drill, that part, that part, that part. I've done this stuff before, which I think is better for me and better bang for buck. And I merge it together. Yep. I would say that's probably more the norm, but to have like nothing like them is like, it's, I'm, I'm finding it hard to believe almost yeah. Jared. Yep. Is that the... Is that the privilege of being the premiership team? Until they say you're complacent. Yeah, that's that's the privilege of it. But no, I think there's no doubt. And I, I experienced this sort of secondhand now, but with, with Adam Kingsley, the first preseason, 
was like that I experienced with him was like we were animalistic on detail. Like it was everything had to be perfect. We're learning new drills. And that sort of whole preseason basically was learning what he wanted and retraining habits. This year, from what I've been told, is basically day one. It was like, let's go. We know what we're doing. Yep. Away you go. And so you see, you think at Collingwood with McRae, they're into their third year. They all know what he expects. They all know what needs to be done. And that makes it significantly easier. And they're obviously not changing too much. Change needs teaching. But status quo and tinkering doesn't need too much. So the cramming that Adam Uze and Richmond oh, were yeah. doing. So yeah. I thought you described, you gave us the best description that I've heard of it. We used to do A, B, and C, so you, and you knew A, B, and C, A, and then you have to retrain your brain to go, now we're doing X, Y, and Z yeah. in the exact moment and how long that takes to bed down. Yeah, it's funny. In the end, Sam Taylor had this sort of... Um, <laughs> Uh, this profit moment when he said, we'll be average for the first 10 weeks, then we'll be hard to, to beat. And at the time, I was like, Sam, what are you saying? <laughs> like, you're killing us here, mate. You're killing us. But it was true because, like, even I found when I was running around, I was like, I wanted to do something, but then my brain would catch me. And I just, and that's actually slowing down your decision-making execution. So until that becomes automatic, and it is a big difference. I'm sure Uze, what he's going to do at Richmond is very diff different to what Dimmer Hardwick had done for a long time. So especially old players, they're going to find it far more difficult because it's just time. Like Dima started coaching 2010. It's a long time in one system or one version to change. And yeah, you've got to teach yourself to make, make those decisions instantaneously. We are with Phil Davis talking pre-season preparations. Um, we'll talk Melbourne in a moment. Matt Forrest, the AFL Chief of Staff Herald Sun, has just tweeted, uh, Clayton Oliver will train with Melbourne today on a modified program with the rehab group. I understand he returns to the club sessions on Tuesday. Great signs for the superstar demon. Uh, we'll explore that with Phil after Nathan in the newsroom. Phil Davis is in the studio. You are such a great source of knowledge out there. It is just before I read that from the Herald Sun, uh, 920 had tweeted, had text through, Clayton Oliver at Gosh's Paddock training with the whole team today. This has, this has been the most intriguing scenario. I heard you talk to Kane about it and, and what, the, what the bigger picture might have been. It's not. So they're going down a different path. What I was wondering about, well, so Oliver's been doing his program separately to get himself ready, but he's missing all the time with the group while presumably they are working on strategy and planning, not just fitness. How inconvenient, so never mind the why, how inconvenient is it not to have a centerpiece of your midfield setup with you for a big portion of the preseason? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think... In the midfield, it's a little bit interchangeable this time of year. I think as long as Clayton understands what he has to do when he comes back, he's just played so much football with Petrarca and Viney that I think he'll have that chemistry. It's not like it's if it was in, if he was at Richmond, I bet this isn't great because there's a whole new thing going down. How we're going to play? We actually need that sort of chemistry. But stability has been at Melbourne. They know what they're doing. I think it's not as big of a deal and especially him and how he plays. Cause he's a hunter. We all sort of know what he's going to do. His teammates know what he's going to do. His role will be very, very clear. So I think it's less, less serious than other positions and at other clubs. How intrigued are you from the outside looking in? And we don't know how this mm. is going to play out. 
and we know some, but not all of the internal machinations. It It is one of the more intriguing scenarios I've seen, given that this is the start of the long-term rich contract, essentially the biggest at the club, um, and the very public notice that he was put on by his team, by his club. Yeah, it's been a fascinating um, experience. That trade week last year was crazy. I, I, I wasn't expecting that to be how that played out. But I understand why they did. They were firm. They were strong. They were obviously trying to get the point across that standards are for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're our best player or our worst player. This is what we do. You know, they've got some really strong leadership down there as well from, you know, obviously from administration to Goodwin to, to Max. But I'm fascinated for a lot of reasons because I want to know how long have they been dealing with this? Have they been able to help him manage it? And then last year was just it reared its head with the hamstring and, and all these factors. He's barely been injured for, for a long time. But now on the other end, it's like, all right, we've got a seven-year contract here. Are we making decisions to make him available to play round one? Or are we making decisions to be the best player he possibly can be for seven years? And to me, obviously, we, we can't draw a conclusion on what they've decided by him coming back now. But I hope that the decision has been made for what's best for Clayton, the person, then for the seven years, and then for round one. That has to be the priority. Yep. And you know, obviously, I can't judge if it is or it isn't. But from the outside, that's all I care about because that's the most important because we all get just absolutely absorbed in round one. Like it is the everything but it's amazing to find out that round eight is worth four points, just like round one is. And some of us don't turn on round eight football. So <laughs> that's the thing for me in this situation. I'm fascinated that. And then the bigger picture is if Melbourne aren't going well at round six or as well as we think we have, talk about pressure. That, that'll be boiling point down at, um, at Melbourne. Yeah, I think, I think Melbourne and the Bulldogs are the two most interesting clubs coming into the season. If you said to me, Melbourne finished second, they go, yeah, of course they Mm. finished second. If you said to me, Melbourne finished 10th, they go, yeah, yeah, well, they had all these things going on. I I can understand how that happened. Um, So it's it's an amazing entree into the season for a team that is well-established up the top end. I think if we all reflect back, let's go 2018 for one second, we go, wow, prelim. Yeah, got out of control against West Coast. West Coast, a great team. What's about to happen here? Hit the skids for a couple of years. And then that premiership in 2021, we go, all right, they're going to win. I thought as a, as an opponent, how are we ever going to beat these teams for the next three years? I was like, Oliver's so young. Petrak is so young. Gorn's still in his prime. Their back line, you can't score against. Their small forwards are very good. Yeah, they've got a bit of weakness in their key forwards, but if they can plug that, I was like, this team's going to be incredible. And we sit here right now with back-to-back straight sets, exits. Still a great list. But their question over there is, well, what are we going to do to maximize this? Because there's still, to me, there's still a big window. Max is the window. That's yeah. that's the point. And he turns 33 at the end of this year. Is Bontempelli the window at the Bulldogs? I feel like they've recognized they're on the clock and they've done everything they can to get their ducks in a row right now. Yeah, I think I think there's no doubt that to have a generational player like Bontempelli running around your midfield I just wonder with the doggies, have they kept moving with the speed of the game around the ball? They've got the, I think arguably the best ball winner, one of the best balls in Liberatore. He's incredible. McRae's very similar. All these teams are playing these rapid fire mids and I'm looking forward to seeing if they try to pivot into that space a bit more to complement 
obviously what Marcus can do in that forward line and move the ball quickly. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Marcus is still young. He's done, he's done a few miles though, because he's done so much for that football club. But yeah, I, I've, yeah, doggies, dockers, Melbourne for me have got the brightest spotlight, spotlight on them. Phil Davis in the studio, our pre-season footy chat before we turn the calendar to February. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. He's um, big, he's fit, he's powerful. If you somehow could manufacture having him and Pat around the ball at the same time, um, they're pretty hard to defend, I reckon. That's James Kelly on the idea of Tom Stewart playing midfield. How experimental, how experimental is too experimental, Phil Davis? Well, you've got arguably the best backman in the comp just, just floating around in your back line. Um, what I will say is at least they've identified that maybe their midfield needs a bit of bit of pep in it. Obviously, Guthrie last year being injured was significant. Um, I don't know. If, I think if you've got an ace of spades, maybe just keep it as an ace of spades is my general view. But the other thing is if you're Tom Stewart and you're just awesome at what you do, do you just need some variety? Maybe just once a little two-week spice up to run around the midfield and just – break that, that, that feeling of just dominating the whole time. I don't know, but I understand. I, I, I always like hearing those stories because I think it's like, wow, that's really cool. But at the end of the day, five All-Australians in seven years or something like that, he'll get six this year. Um, yeah, I think he'll play back, but I, I always like that. I enjoy those stories. They're very good. The AFL side of things is uh, clearly they put the feelers out to the clubs around the adjustments to the rules that would make the Maynard smother on Brayshaw a suspension. I feel like in the immediate aftermath of the way that went, this was always going to be the, the AFL's stance. Would it be the right one? Yes. I heard Maynard talk about it. I enjoyed his comments because we've just got to change our behaviours as players. We've just, since we were five, we played a certain way. And if it was okay, but then once things changed, we saw great improvements in the tackling very quickly. And in this situation, it's just, to me, we can't risk the injury. You look at all the reports around the concussion and all those things. It's the participation and fans, you know, sometimes aren't always aligned in what needs to be done, but participation, we need to make it a safe game that when people between five and 10 are deciding girls and boys, is it a safe game to play? Can we make things that don't ruin the fabric of the game? to make it safer. And to me, just train the habit that when Maynard jumps, instead of twisting and bracing, he puts his arms out and, and pushes or something like that. So I think it's the right decision. If it was your choice, would you go four on a sub or five on the interchange for the year? Four on the sub. Yeah. I, I think we're just, coaches are very sneaky and they're very good at playing the, the, the political line of getting changed. But, you know, it was three in a sub and they said, that's no good. Let's go four. They're like, what happens if someone gets concussed? Four and one. Well, why not have five? Well, why not have eight? You know, that's <laughs> like, they're just very good at, they, they work that very, very well, but no, keep it four and a sub. Unless, I thought we went down this path a while ago about making the players more tired. And yes, we've got interchange capacity. I understand that. Five makes sense to me if the AFL sat there and said, we like two Ruckman. We want to get two Ruckman into the game. Because the 75 cap will always limit, obviously, speed on the game to an extent, to an extent. But you could play two Ruckman on and off the bench with a fifth man on the bench. But to me, it's not worthy of playing five. And given that we're about to turn into February and there's no articulated plan, is it too late to introduce a mid-season trade period for this year? Yes, I think so. I, I think like any good trade period, you need time to plan, prepare. 
scope all the iterations of what could happen and how it could be manipulated. And, but also as a player, you know, you want to know what your plan is going into the season. And that's a big curveball. If, you know, there'll be someone out there right now, it could be even a poor Adelaide Ruckman going, well, if this didn't go well, if I'm nowhere near it, you know, Jordan Sweet, do I need to look to go to somewhere mid season? You know, obviously you wouldn't, but I think it's too early. It's too quick. What are we, let's say Feb one's tomorrow. When do you reckon mid season would be middle of June? Yeah. Ish. Probably a window, maybe all of June. That's, that's too fast for me, Jared. What do you think? How fast could they turn around? No, no, I, I think it's gone too far for 2024. They could announce in February that it's coming in 2025. So yeah, I, I feel like you have to have the run-in to make, to have your contracts in order. And you also have to have the, I feel like you have to have the players entering a calendar year knowing, hey, there's this possibility in the middle that I could use or I could end up being exposed to. I, I don't think you can drop that with four weeks to go till round one. How long till you think that they might go, well, you might not be at this club at the end of this year and you can't choose? Uh, I think that's a long way in the yeah. future. Yeah. I, I suspect I suspect it will happen because that's that's common around the world. We would put safeguards around it in mm. the AFL. You've obviously sat on the PA. I think there's a world in which that is the norm and it is useful. So you're guaranteed tenure and contract, but you're not guaranteed location. Mm. I don't think that's insurmountable is the, the cost of moving from Melbourne to Perth or Perth to Sydney, but there'd have to be a real framework built in. And I think a generation of player would have to know that that was the possibility rather than just dropping it on the current. No, I think, I think that's where it probably ends up. And especially, as you said, the safeguarding element, because... The thing that I think we sometimes get lost in is that, yes, AFL players get very, very well paid. That's fantastic. But when we compare us to soccer or NFL where, you know, my wife works full time and we all of a sudden say, okay, you have to leave your job as well if you want to be with your partner. Your kids are in school, all these things. And yes, you get paid well. You know, five, what's the average wage? $450,000. Well, it's not $45 million like no. in, in America. And, and, and there are other factors that, that – and then before – because the biggest concern I have down that path is, all right, well, I just won't play football then because it's not worth uprooting my whole entire life for this. And that's why I think eventually there'll be like – maybe the first iteration will be plays below X amount of dollars can't be traded without consent. Yep, yep. I think that differentiation, which – I know the constituency doesn't make, but there's a difference between $450,000 a year and $450,000 a week. Mm. And that, that is the comparison we're making. Yes. The dollars in those sports where you can be zipped from one city to the next are astronomical. You don't worry about childcare. Yes. <laughs> hey, Phil, great to chat footy with you at this time of year. No, thanks for having me, Jerry. It was nice to pop in. We'll do it again in the, in the near future. Phil Davis with us here at SEN.